Welcome to Attachment Theory in Action, a weekly podcast presented by the Knowledge Center at Chaddock. Join host Karen Doyle Buckwalter for an insightful, informative, and inspiring conversation with leading researchers, authors, and clinicians discussing issues in attachment theory. If you enjoy the podcast, please leave a review and share with your professional network. Today, Karen welcomes Dr. Amy Apigian for a discussion on her approach to attachment as a medical doctor. Part two will be released on August 2nd. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Attachment Theory in Action podcast. I'm your host, Karen Doyle Buckwalter, joining you once again here from Chadak with another interview. Today, I'm going to be speaking with Dr. Amy Apigian. She is an MD, an MS, um, MPH, so board certified in preventive medicine as a physician. And she also has a master's in biochemistry and a master's in public health. She's an author, speaker, and founder of Trauma Healing Accelerated where she runs uh, camps called Family Challenge Camps. She spent some time in residency in Portland, Oregon in general surgery, but then decided she wanted to choose a really different career path in terms of working with families and children. So she now is a trauma attachment and addiction medicine physician. She has also been a foster parent and is an adoptive parent. So she's going to be joining us here today telling us about some of her work that she does with families. And I'm really excited to have her with us today. So stay tuned for Dr. Amy, who will be coming right up. Thank you to everyone who signed up for the Developmental Trauma and Attachment Institute for July 2022. While registration for this round of classes is closed, we will be opening up registration again soon for January 2023 classes. Head to tkcchaddock.org to sign up for the waiting list and get notified when registration goes live. So listeners, just as I promised, I am here now with Dr. Amy Apigian. Amy, thank you. Or I think you're known fondly as Dr. Amy. So Dr. Amy, thank you for joining us here today. Uh, Thank you, Karen. I'm really excited about our time together in this conversation. Me too. So we have not interviewed a lot of medical doctors uh, on here. We did a while ago um, interview Dr. Claudia Gold, who is the co-author on The Power of Discord with Ed Tronic. Um, and she's so, sort of shared a little bit about her movement away from traditional medicine. But, but so it's exciting to have somebody with a medical background here. And you have a very interesting medical background. So I would like to if you could start out just sharing some of that with our listeners, your your both your personal journey, but then also your journey as a physician and, and where that has taken you. Yeah, no, you're taking me down memory lane because as a medical physician, I never saw myself working around the topic of trauma, right? Like that was maybe for psychiatrists. And I was very clear, Karen, very clear. I did not want to be a psychiatrist. And in fact, I was planning to be a missionary surgeon, uh, likely out in Africa. Like that, that was just my path. And uh, before that, I was such a geek with science. And so when I enrolled in medical school, 
And for me, that was at Loma Linda University in Southern California. And I actually also enrolled in the PhD program. So I was going to get a PhD in biochemistry as well. And then during that process, I realized that, you know what, like I'm not actually as much of a lab rat. I do actually love connecting with people. And so I just got a master's in biochemistry during just a master's <laughs> in biochemistry, just, just a master's. And, um, and then I went on to get a master's in public health shortly after I um, started that at the end of my medical school training. And so in looking at all of my experiences, like it really set me up then for what has become my life calling and working around trauma. And it started with attachment trauma. Yes. And at the end of my master's in biochemistry, there was about a, a several month period before I jumped back into what would be the third year of medical school. And so I'm sitting there and being like, ah, like, how can I best use my time? How can I, how can I be meaningful and serve with what I have right now? And so I decided to be a foster parent. And for those people who have been foster parents, you know, all of the hoops that you have to jump through just to get your first foster child. So that took several months. And so by the time they actually called me, I was just starting my first rotation back in third year of medical school. And so a friend was helping me and uh, her name was Tina. And so together we took on, took in uh, Miguel and Miguel was four years old at the time. And one of the reasons why I said, yes, first of all, I still remember getting that phone call, Karen. And it was one of those moments where like you feel the tingles, you feel the goosebumps, like you feel your whole system just settle and, and you don't know how this is going to work out, but you know that this is what you're supposed to do. And for me, that was very much what happened when they called me and said that there was this four-year-old Miguel and he needed a home and he had had a very difficult life already. And when we look at, uh, my goodness, like what he experienced just before getting into the foster care system, and then certainly his experience once he was in the foster care system, he had been through not necessarily true placements in homes, but had been moved over 20 times by the time he got to me at age four. And so taking him in, Karen, like I was very clear that what I wanted to provide him was stability. Because mm -hmm. that was what he had missed out most of. And of course, love, right? And I just knew that my love would fix and heal all of his past wounds and that he would come to know the valuable um, gift that he had inside him. And I just knew that this was... Um, Knew, knew that this was going to happen. And so, you know, certainly having the, the honeymoon period, uh, which most kids experience as a foster child or as an adoptive child, they come in and they're very much on their best behavior and then things fall apart. And, um, for, for a number of reasons, and, and certainly that is all part of that attachment trauma, but that is how I got introduced to this concept of, even attachment and then attachment trauma. And I, along the way, made a commitment to adopt Miguel and to be the one to figure out the pieces for him of what did he need to actually be able to rise above his past circumstances and not let those drive his life. Because very quickly with his behaviors and emotional dysregulation, I could easily see him in jail 
at a pretty young age or addicted to substances mm -hmm. and seeing, seeing him going down that path at, from such an early age, this was, this became, you know, as, as a mom, this just became my, my all consuming, um, drive at that time is how do I change the course of his future? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And what are the different pieces that he needs in order to have that happen? Because it was quickly obvious that my love was not enough. Mm -hmm. And that actually was partly what was scaring him and resulting in more of the behaviors and the emotional dysregulation was the fact that someone did love him and wanted connection and didn't want just the we're together. You can do your own thing. Um, cause that's what he would have preferred. That was what felt safer to him at that time than to actually be in connection with someone who truly saw him for who he was. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so you were talking about, um, getting these two masters and also going to medical school. I don't even know how that all works, like how you, do that. But um, so um, what were in studying all of those disciplines and some of, you know, how you view yourself now, what are the unique things that you feel having your medical training and having these other master's degrees and these experiences, you know, what is the lens you feel that you bring to things that might be somewhat different? Um, I know the title of our talk today is attachment in your nervous system. Um, but just even thinking about these, sometimes we don't look interdisciplinary enough, I think. And so it's interesting to hear you having these somewhat different, related, but somewhat different angles at which you have training and are looking at things. Yeah. And again, go, like going back at, at that time, Karen, I was not thinking about attachment and trauma on a large scale. I was so focused on just helping Miguel. I never saw this as something that would even become my own life work. I, at that time, after medical school, I went on to become a general surgery resident. Mm -hmm. And so I'm, I'm cutting people and taking out infections and appendicitis and all of this kind of stuff, right? Like, and how, how does that relate to trauma? And what I started to notice, Karen, was there were things that my son would do and say that I started to recognize in most of my patients. And it intrigued me. And I'm like, could it be that there is this thing called trauma and it actually does get stored in the body. Like it's not just a saying, it's not just something that we say to convey the impact that trauma has had in our life, but it actually does somehow get stored in our body because I am seeing patterns of these similar things that I now can see that, that are related to attachment and insecurities and these trauma patterns. And I'm seeing them in my patients as it relates to their physical health. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so that's when I started doing deeper study into what exactly does it mean when trauma gets stored in the body? 
Yeah. How does that happen? Where does that happen? Like where exactly is that box in the body that's like, you know, has the label trauma and it's like trauma goes here and that's how it gets stored into the body. So I started asking all of these kinds of questions that as a medical physician, like if trauma is in my patient's body, like I need, I need to know about this, right? Cause I'm actually also working with trauma then not just their presentation and their symptoms. And then what happened, Karen was probably, again, probably, you know, looking back, one of the biggest gifts for me, and that is I got really sick. Mm. I got so sick, Karen, that I was labeled with a bunch of different stuff, including chronic fatigue syndrome. And my lab showed that I was on this path towards autoimmunity. And as I'm on my medical leave, because that's how severe it was, I could not even get out of bed some days. I started wondering why I had some of these symptoms because as a medical physician, I knew the work that Dr. Vincent Folletti had done around the adverse childhood experiences. And I knew that the exact symptoms that I was having have been directly associated with adverse childhood experiences. And yet I'm looking back at my life and I'm like, no, this isn't me. If, if this had been my son, absolutely. Right. Like I can look at his life and be like, wow, that is a high a score, but me, like, I don't have a high A score at all, at all. I, I would never have thought that I had trauma as a child. And so it was, ended up being the biggest gift for me because now I had my own system to work on. And by then I had been able to thankfully figure out all of the pieces that my son needed and mm-hmm. he well. And now it was like, all right, how does this actually work now for adults? And it no longer became something I was studying, but it became something that I had to do in order to get my life back. And there was, again, even at that time, I didn't see myself making this my life career at that time. It was just to be able to get back into surgery training. And it became, it became necessary because of how sick I got. And so that's, that was just a huge other piece for me to understand then and start to see the effects that trauma has on our nervous system. And that our nervous system really does drive everything in our life, not only our behaviors and our thoughts, which again, kind of, as you were saying, how things are so compartmentalized, that's usually how things are compartmentalized in terms of trauma. It's like, oh, your psychology, your, Mm -hmm. your behaviors, your coping mechanisms, mechanisms, perhaps. And as a, as a medical physician, I'm seeing, Ooh, but also that same trauma is what's going to drive certain things in your biology, including oxidative stress, including compromises to your mitochondria, including leaky gut, inflammation, primed microglia. And I started just going through all of these things that I had to figure out for myself. Mm-hmm. And, and then I started sharing that with other people and starting to see them have amazing changes in their own life, especially around what they had always just considered. These are my trauma patterns. These are my triggers. These are my reactions. And this is just the way I'm always going to be. And for me to be able to come in and say, well, let's change this aspect about your biology 
that's affecting your nervous system. And let's just see if you get the same change that I had in my life. And sure enough, they started to have those same changes. And so that's where it slowly grew into what I do now, which is all under this umbrella of the biology of trauma, because that's where we have so much impact on actually being able to address the stored trauma in the body, which is stored in the nervous system itself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I know that you also um, talk about, you know, in addition to the different parts of the nervous system that are impacted by attachment and trauma, something else I appreciated that you speak about is in utero experiences of babies related to this subject. And I think a lot of times when you start, even like if you look at uh, ages and stages of development charts and, and just general things like that, they start after birth, right? Everything like that starts after birth as though those first nine months aren't, what are they? They're just irrelevant whatever You're just in the incubator you're not actually yeah, alive yeah, yeah. so um i um before we move to our break i wanted to see if you could talk a bit about your thoughts about the in utero experience and the impact that has on individuals yeah and i'll share with you just something that i read again last night as i was writing some of my curriculum for my biology of trauma modules and this was around low birth weight and how low birth weight is one of the most common associations with a hyperactive HPA axis, which is your stress response. And so we can look at just right there, just being born with a low birth weight is going to set you up for this hyperactive stress response, which we know, or, or maybe your audience will still come to know yet that leads to the freeze response and that trauma response. And so what would have happened in utero that a baby would have been born with a low birth weight? What exposures did they have already? We know that the mom's cortisol levels or her stress hormones, they are supposed to go up in the third trimester. If they don't, that's a problem because then the baby's lungs won't mature. It won't be ready for birth. It won't be ready to take that first deep breath and be able to breathe on its own. So that cortisol is necessary, but what happens if mom is stressed all throughout pregnancy and that cortisol is high in the first trimester or the second trimester, well, that high cortisol then actually is a neurotoxin for the developing baby. A neurotoxin, meaning a toxin that is specific to the nervous system. And the nervous system is actually the very first thing to form in an infant, in a fetus. And, and it forms as like this thin ribbon that then grows and grows and becomes the spinal cord and then the brainstem and then the brain. And then actually um, the skin actually comes from those same cells as the nervous system. So that's how important touch is for all humans, but especially babies. And so if anything is happening in utero, that is affecting the development of the nervous system, it's going to set that infant up for dysregulation of their nervous system. And, and that would be, that would result in attachment 
trauma, attachment disruptions, neurodevelopmental trauma, neurodevelopmental gaps, because the nervous system literally is not ready and able to handle all of the exposures that it's going to have in the world outside of the uterus. And so that, that period, that nine months, literally the whole purpose of that is to get that nervous system ready to handle this transition called birth. <laughs> and it is a transition. It's not, it's not a, a, you know, period. And then just this whole new life emerges. No, it's just, it's just a transition. Nothing really changes in terms of the nervous system when birth happens, except that they're expected to breathe on their own and now eat using their mouth rather than the umbilical cord. That's the only thing that changes. Otherwise, their nervous system is still very much developing. And it started nine months ago. So we can even see the impact of this in the fetal alcohol syndromes, Karen, right? Where even before a mom knows that she's pregnant, if she's consuming things that are a toxin to the nervous system, that will impact the developing nervous system and our nervous system is everything. Like it is, it is everything for us. It is our survival system. It's our stress response. It's everything. And so it needs to be so carefully guarded. And in much of today's world, we, we don't guard it. We, we, you know, we keep moms pretty busy up until the time that they actually deliver because we need to have her productive. We need to have her working. We need to have her doing this. We need to have her, you know, like it's not actually that preparation time and that sacredness of, of helping the baby's nervous system develop in utero as it should be if they are going to be able to truly have their best resilience for life when they are born. Yeah, your statement that the nervous system is everything is really sticking with me. I, it really is, isn't it? Because, you know, I was just, um, before we got on here, consulting about a child and looking at, you know, the parent, the, the unique parenting that this child needs because of their nervous system. <laughs> So, you know, really it, it, it's at the, the crux of a lot of difficulties with regulation is the nervous system and thinking about what you're saying of how much development happens in utero. And you had this one statement, again, it's it, on one hand, we know this, but it's so profound to when I read it, you said the mother is sharing her nervous system with her baby. Like, sure, a lot of us would say, oh, yeah, we, we get that the mother's state impacts the baby's state, but somehow sharing the nervous system um, really brings that point home, I think, more strongly. And we know that very clearly from the attachment studies, especially the ones coming out of the work of Mary Ainsworth, that is how we know that a mom is actually sharing, giving what she has and her nervous system to her child. And that is also why we are having such a rise in those with an insecure attachment is because in our society today, that is becoming more the norm. And so that's just being passed on to each generation. And when you're talking about regulation, Karen, attachment is regulation. Yes. Attachment is your degree of regulation. And there's a number of things that go into that regulation. 
And so that's, that's what it really is. Like every, everything comes down to that nervous system and how regulated is it? And our attachment style is directly going to determine how regulated our nervous system is. Yes. Well, this has been a fascinating discussion so far. Listeners, um, we will be continuing our interview with Dr. Amy Apigian. Please join us next week for part two of attachment and your nervous system. So thank you for listening and we will be back next week. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Attachment Theory in Action. Please follow our site, tkcchaddock.org, or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts for future episodes. If you enjoy our podcast, please leave a review and share with your professional network. For additional resources, training opportunities, and blogs, please visit tkcchaddock.org. We hope you'll join us again as we continue to explore the world of adoption, trauma, and attachment theory. 